Hey, welcome back to another segment of RIACF Levisory University, where we are discussing everything you ever wanted to know about RIA legal and compliance, but were afraid to ask. I am your host, Jeff Smith, and I am the founder and managing attorney for Levisory and the CEO of RIA Compliance Firm. Today, we are looking at what many RIAs might view as one of the most important parts of the Advisors Act. This is viewed as important because it deals with the agreements that RIAs have with their clients and the fees that are charged to clients. Let's be realistic. You know, RIAs view this as important because they are in the business to not only serve clients, but also to get paid for their services. Therein lies a conflict since RIAs are subject to a fiduciary duty, but yet they want to get paid as much as possible. Section 205 seeks to address this to some degree. So Section 205 starts with three strict prohibitions that if violated will most likely result in an enforcement action, so they should be taken very seriously. So let's talk about the first prohibition. The first prohibition makes clear that no investment advisory agreement can provide for compensation to the investment advisor on the basis of a share of capital gains upon or capital appreciation of the funds or any portion of the funds of the client. The industry generally refers to this, these types of uh, fees as performance fees. So this means that the agreement cannot state that if a client's account increases by 10% in a year, for example, that the RIA gets to keep 20% of this increase. That's a performance fee. What you might be asking yourself, however, right, right about now is that why does my RIA charge a private fund, wealthy clients, or institutional clients a percentage of the increase in their assets under management for the year? You may have seen this. Well, let's talk about that. Um, some of you may have seen this type of behavior since it is very common in the hedge fund space. The reasons will be explained later, but this is partially as a result of Rule 205.3, which makes an exception to this prohibition for what are known as qualified clients. In summary, a qualified client includes the following. So, number one, a client that immediately after entering into the contract with the RIA has at least a million dollars under the management of the investment advisor. Number two, it can be a client that is immediately prior to entering into the contract either a net worth, and if you, you know, put that together in the case of a natural person with assets held jointly with a spouse, of more than $2 million, um, or as a qualified purchaser, as that term is defined under the Investment Company Act of 1940. When we cover the 1940 Act or the Investment Company Act of 1940 in the future, We'll talk more about qualified purchasers, but for now, we'll just leave it at that. Um, number three is, is an executive officer, director, trustee, general partner, or person serving in a similar capacity of the investment advisor. Or number four, an employee involved in the investment functions of the RAA that has been in that function for the RAA for at least one year or 12 months. Now. Getting back to the prohibitions in Section 205 regarding investment advisory agreements, the SEC prohibits an agreement that fails to provide that no assignment of the agreement shall be made by the investment advisor without the consent of the client. I've seen this uh, get missed a lot, and so it's important to check your investment advisory agreements to make sure you have a prohibition on assignment, so be careful with this. Where I get most of the questions about this section is in regards to negative consent letters and whether or not they're permissible. Uh, a negative consent letter, for example, is one where the RIA notifies the client 
that they are going to take a certain action, in this case, assign their agreement, unless the client takes affirmative action to notify the RIA of their lack of consent. If you have this question come up, be sure to reference the SEC's no action letters in this area since the facts will determine whether or not this is permissible. I believe there are about four um, particularly on point no action letters, um, so look at this carefully. The SEC also prohibits an agreement that fails to provide that the investment advisor, if a partnership, will notify the other party to the contract of any change in the membership of such partnership within a reasonable time after such change. The next subsection of 205 creates several exceptions to the performance fee prohibition that we just discussed above. These exceptions include agreements with fees based upon assets under management, agreements with registered investment companies, which are mutual funds for the most part, agreements with what are known as business development companies or BDCs, and agreements for the management of assets in excess of $1 million that meet certain conditions. Uh, these conditions involve a fee known as fulcrum fees um, that is based upon the assets under management over a specific period of time and which may change based upon the performance relative to a specific benchmark such as an index. The compensation prohibition um, of not being able to charge a performance fee also does not apply to what the industry calls 3C7 funds. These are private investment funds that are excluded from the SEC registration requirement applicable to investment companies. Not RIAs, but investment companies. Um, most people know of these funds as hedge funds, one type of hedge fund. The other type of hedge fund is a 3C1 fund. The last exception to the prohibition against performance fees applies to agreements with non-US resident clients. It's also really important to note that the SEC reserves the authority within Section 205 to grant exceptions to the general prohibition against performance fees, either in its own discretion or upon request by the RIA. Generally, the SEC will look at factors such as you know, financial sophistication, net worth, knowledge of, and experience in financial matters, or the amount of assets under management, or relationship with the registered investment advisor, and such other factors as the commission determines are consistent with Section 205. What the SEC is really looking at is they're looking for evidence that the client doesn't really need the protections of the securities laws and that they are able to sort of fend or protect themselves. Lastly, Section 205 also allows the SEC to create rules that prohibit or impose conditions or limitations on the use of mandatory arbitration clauses within an agreement. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion around Section 205 of the, of the Advisors Act that deals with agreements between the RIA and its clients as well as client fees. If you have any questions about any of this material that we've covered, then please don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach me at jsmith@lawadvisory.com. Also, you won't want to miss our next segment where we discuss Section 206 that prohibits misstatements and material factual omissions and other fraudulent acts in connection with the conduct of an investment advisory business. You don't want to miss that segment since many of the SEC's enforcement actions are brought as a result of violations of Section 206. Goodbye for now and thanks for watching. <laughs>